Wow, that was a big lag. Oh, yeah. You two were in sync. I wasn't. <laughs> well, you sounded in sync to us, but, you know, right. a little bit of latency there. Yeah. Ba, ba, Definitely. Ba. Okay. This is why everybody hates you, Leo. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Because you start singing in sync or Backstreet. It's because you were a Backstreet Boys fan, weren't you? Mm, that's a more in sync guy. Chris Kirkpatrick <laughs> you, you'd have, was you'd been You'd have been a little young, I guess, for Backstreet Boys. Yeah. So, yeah. Is, that, is that your daughter? Yeah, that's my daughter. She doesn't realize that I'm podcasting, even though she's already been told that she needs oh, to be fine. quiet because I'm podcasting. Give her I'm a high five for me because that was awesome. Leo, Leo says, <laughs> give you a high five because your singing was awesome. Welcome to Mintcast, the podcast by the Linux Mint community for all users of Linux. Yeah, that's you. You. You too. And this is Joe, and I'm missing my nap. Hi, this is Tony, and I've been Fitbitted. And now, buttery smooth, I'm Leo. This is episode 367, recorded on Sunday, the 8th, August, 2021. 8th of August. Yeah. Livestream information is at mintcast.org slash livestream. If you see something that you'd like to hear about, tell us. Send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. Join us live on YouTube. Post at the Mintcast subreddit. Chat with us on Telegram, Discord, Facebook, or post directly at mintcast.org. First up in the news, Linux Mint working on the website. More on the Steam Deck. Ubuntu debuts its new installer and some release dates. In security, open source security has a big problem. Then in our wanderings, I've been arching. Tony's been watching cricket, Joe's been working on game consoles, and we expected more people to be here, which is why the inflection was weird. Yeah! We've made it to the news. Well, we got a big update. Well, small, big, I don't know, depending on what um, what you think about the Linux Mint website. Uh, we got a big update this last uh, blog post. Take a look at this. Uh, those of you on the podcast, you need to go check out the show notes real quick for the link to the blog post, or just go to linuxmint.com. It's the first blog post that you're going to see right there. Scroll down about, uh, I don't know, I guess midway to uh, through the blog post itself, and you're going to see the new pro- possible? Possible. I think there's more art to be to be happening here, but... This is the new Linux Mint website. Yeah, it's really cool. It's the first time I've actually seen a picture of it. I thought it was really good. Yeah. What what do you think about it, Joe? I'm not overly impressed with it, but it's there. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Do you need to be impressed with it? I really don't. I really don't. (laughs) I don't understand why my opinion matters on it, but yeah, not impressed. Joe. Your opinion Come on, matters. It's better than 1998-ish. Yeah. Your your opinion <laughs> yeah, matters. Yeah, mo- it's moved into the 2002 range. I th- I think we've gone further cuz look, look at everything. Everything is mostly flat. There are only some gradients. So I'm going to say at least 2010. Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. I right. I'll give you that. Yeah, we we they're, they're, were kind of in this weird gradient love affair between the year 2000 and and like 2020 10 or yeah, 2010. Um I, I guess that was when we started falling in love with everything being flat. 
and now everything is flat and gradients sometimes happen. And this is one of those times. I like it, though. It's definitely an improvement. Yep, definitely so. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of excited about this. This is one of the big complaints because, because, Joe, here's why your opinion matters. Because it's the very absolute first experience you get directly with Linux Mint that has nothing to do with other people's opinions. Like, on Reddit, you'll be like, oh, yeah, Linux Mint's a good beginner distro, blah, blah, blah. I mean, that kind of belies what Linux Mint really is. It's not just a beginner distro, but, right? I mean, that's, that's a general, uh, I guess, opinion that you'll get about it. And then you go over to linuxmint.com, and it's like straight out of 1998, and it doesn't look great. So those on the live stream, I mean, I, I know you've been there before, but yeah, I mean, uh, if I could type, right, Linux, oh my God, Linux Mint, oh, wow. <laughs> you would think I was yeah, ready you, for you, uh, podcasting You need to practice today. that a little bit more, I think. Oh, man, I, my hands are broken, I think. But yeah, I mean, it's not terrible, uh, but I mean... Uh, no, it, does, it doesn't yeah. look like a wiki page. Oh, well, yeah, barely. I was probably Just... being a bit unkind, saying 1998, maybe 2002, 2003. Okay, <laughs> I guess so. But, I mean, it's it's very basic. It's super plain. I mean, the colors are right, at least. I mean, that's that's good. <laughs> well, it doesn't, it doesn't need to be complicated or anything. But No, it doesn't. It doesn't. And I think the, the new one kind of captures that as well. I mean... People go to linuxmint.com to download the thing so they can try it out. I mean, I would I would imagine a very small amount of people actually stick around and click on the links and learn why Linux Mint exists and um, check out uh, like like all the links ab about how to deal with it and why you know who works on the project and when it started. None of that. Very few people actually go out and and do that kind of thing. So this is it. The page you're looking at right now on um, on the live stream, that, that's what it is. That's what people will see ever. That, that's it. They'll download it, and then they'll never go back again. So, <laughs> so it's got, that, that has to be good, I think. Well, until something breaks and they go search for it, and they end up you know, in the forums somewhere. But the forums actually look nice. The forums already have this feel. So if that's their continuing experience with Linux Mint, I think they're already good. It's just that that first experience. What do they say? Um, uh, your your first first impressions, everything, right? Nobody forgets your first impression. Uh, I mean, that's it's important. So I'm I'm glad they've they've done this. Anyway, that was the uh, the really cool thing about it all. Uh, Stephen J. Von Nichols, who's a prominent ZDNet writer, very um, I guess popular. Uh, a lot of folks know him if if you uh, stick around reading a lot of Linux articles and things like that. But there's a quote in the blog uh, that said. The years go by, and I keep trying one Linux distro after the other. But for more than a decade now, I come back to Linux Mint. Why? It's simple. Year in and year out, Mint remains the best easy-to-use Linux desktop. That's the case again with the latest release called Linux Mint 20.2 UMA. So, uh, yeah, man. I mean, we're you see a lot of traction about this kind of thing, and I think that's great as well. Uh, there was one other thing on here that I wanted to bring up, which was um, something we were talking about yesterday, kind of our uh, putting our heads together meeting. And I noticed in this list of things, so Linux Mint does backporting to 20 and 20.1. So as things uh, are become stable in 20.2, they get backported to the, uh, to the earlier versions of that same major revision of Linux Mint. Uh, like the folder color switcher, GNOME Online accounts, Hypnotics, and this is the one that caught my eye. YouTube DL. 
One of the things that has bugged the crap out of me on Ubuntu is you install YouTube DL and it doesn't work. It just doesn't. And it's kind of a shame because I think YouTube DL is, um, it's the back end for just about every kind of YouTube, any kind of thing, right? Like Any kind wire. of video downloader. Right. I mean, yeah. it's not just specific to YouTube. That's what it's created for. But any website that has a video, you can pull it yeah. using YouTube DL. Exactly. So, you know, it's kind of important if it actually works. So if you're trying to pull out audio or video or something like that yourself, yeah, the the one the one that's available to you in Ubuntu doesn't work. But uh, well, okay, let me let me take that back. In the first about six months after an Ubuntu release, it works fine because it's an up to date version. But YouTube changes their API and changes the rules every now and then, and YouTube DL has to change to reflect that. In Ubuntu, that doesn't happen because you have one version and you only get security updates. This kind of has to be a, a a recent years type of thing too, because I've been using Linux Mint for a long time, and um, when I was using YouTube DL as a replacement for the RSS feeds that uh, YouTube was trying to block, um, you know, turning a a YouTube channel into an RSS feed, um, I had to use the pip for. Uh, or I had to use pip to install YouTube DL in order to keep it updated and working. That that's that's my that was my go-to. Um I mean I downloaded the tar gz and used it that way for a while but that got annoying. Pip I could at least run one command and update it. But it just seemed to me that that was a lot of work for you know I I just need the audio extracted out of this. I mean we use it, I use it to come into the live stream and download our audio so we have a backup backup just in case. I did that for that one episode that I had to edit because a couple of people's um, audacity had messed up and it was our, and Tony wasn't available. And at the time we were using mumble and he was the one that was doing the mumble recording um, for everybody as a backup, but that wasn't there. But thankfully we had published to YouTube. So right. I pulled it from there. Otherwise we wouldn't have had a show. Yeah, yeah. So YouTube DL is super important to us. It's super important to a lot of folks that need to get video or audio off of YouTube. And vi it's not just YouTube either. It's it's a lot of different websites that you can use. Um, but right, so in the repository Ubuntu version, so I have to clarify because there's a YouTube version or YouTube DL version in Snap, which does stay up to date. But the repository version of YouTube DL does not get up to date. But here's the thing. So in Mint, Apparently, this is one of the packages that, that they keep up to date for you. So I, I just appreciate that uh, very much. And because it's not available in Flatpak, it's not easy to find. So Linux Mint has taken it upon themselves to actually keep that up to date. And um, it is more up to date than the Ubuntu version. I don't think it's current. I think it's, uh, Tony, yesterday we were looking, it was maybe two versions behind or something like that. But I tested it and it worked just fine. So I don't necessarily think you have to upgrade to the latest and greatest YouTube DL all the time, so long as it continues to work and do what you want and all of that kind of good stuff. Uh, there was something else in there too. Um, WhatsApp. The WhatsApp app is maintained by the Linux Mint crew, which is <laughs> huh, interesting. Just interesting, the kind of stuff that they do in the background there. Um, anyway, uh, what I wanted to show you though, or what I wanted to look at was... Uh, this we got a lot of quick. stuff in the news, Leo. No, oh, I just wanted to look at this. Yeah, the, 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 like, the last three links are super fast. Don't worry about it. 
Don't worry about it. Right here. Check this out. I found it. This is the one. They've, they've got like 10 demos here. This is the one that Linux Mint's using. So you can actually see the way that it's going to behave and all of that kind of stuff. So if you're on the, uh, yeah, take a look at that. If you're on the live stream, you can see this is what the site is going to behave like. And I think that's pretty fantastic, man. I mean, it's one of those ever-scrolling new websites that uh, everybody has gone for. So that's kind of nice. Anyway, fine. I guess we'll talk about something other than Linux Mint on the Linux Mint podcast. But okay, here we go. <laughs> so, You've got 10 minutes to cover everything else. <laughs> we got this. We got this. Look, look. Uh, Valve and AMD Steam Deck. Um, well, Owen pre-ordered one. Mike pre-ordered one. Neither of them are on the show. Half the geeks in the world pre-ordered one. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. So I'm excited for this. Uh, Tony and I were talking about this yesterday as well, and my consensus, or my, my, my thought was, I'm going to wait until the initial rush of everybody pre-ordering and then everybody ordering day one and all that stuff dissipates, and then I'll go buy me one of these other ones that, uh, that are available after the fact, because I guarantee you, I guarantee you, there are going to be hardware flaws that we don't know about or that they don't know about on launch that they figure out and then in the second batch they fix. That's what I'm aiming for. I, this, is this to me, is going to be like a forever machine. That video you've got a link to from Linux, Linux te uh, Tech Tips. Linux yeah. Tech Tips. Uh, yeah, I uh, went and watched that last night. No, I, yeah. I, I can't today. say I'm a bit... I, I can't say I'm a big fan of his normally, but that yeah. was actually quite a good review. Yeah. I quite enjoyed that. The, my, my favorite thing was that he was actually excited. He doesn't get oh, yeah. super duper excited yeah. about a lot of things, but I mean, you could tell in that video he was he was really excited about this thing. Yeah, and yeah. it had some interesting features, and even he said you're going to want to buy one of the ones with the um, M.2 SSD instead of... Yeah. Uh, well, y you say the good screen, but the only thing the good screen has is the etched glass. It's all still 720p, right. um, which for gaming is perfectly fine, but you know, even he says for media consumption, it's not really the the greatest, so... Yeah, I think he was talking more about the glare and he was saying for the extra, what right. is it, 100 bucks? No. It was probably worth it for that alone. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, for the, yeah. what was it, the 649 price tag? Yeah. And the 512 gig SSD. Is it? But yeah, um, yeah. Um, his, his only, and it wasn't a complaint with gaming. He said it, 720p is perfectly fine for gaming at that screen size. Yeah. Well, I mean, think of the Switch. It's the same screen size. And that's 720. Actually, right. actually, this is 800p, not 720p. So, I mean, you're getting more pixels than a, than a Nintendo Switch, but it's also going to be a little bit taller as well. Right. But you're missing yeah. some crispness if you're planning on watching a TV show or a movie from that same handheld. But hold up, hold up. Let's step back for just a second and talk about Oh, you're about planning that. on using it as a desktop, so don't even... Don't, don't even well, right, but but even if you're going to use it that way, does the Nintendo Switch allow you to watch Netflix, Hulu, Peacock, this, that, whatever, all these other ones? Does I'm, it? I'm sure if it's hacked, it does. <laughs> Look. It doesn't. I'm, I'm, I'm sure if it's hacked, it does. But, well, yeah, uh, but you have to hack it. No, no, no. I, I'm not saying this isn't a good device. I'm saying that was one of the negatives. If you're going to talk no, no. about the positives, you have to talk about the negatives with the device. You're right. No, no, no. Yeah. What my, my point, though, is that you cannot do this on other handheld devices because this is an actual full computer. Yes, it's 720p, so it's not perfect, but 
the fact that you can just pop open Netflix on your device is absolutely fantastic because okay. other on. devices okay. in its category we watching, don't do that. We were watching streaming video on 720p for years before we got <laughs> full HD. Exactly. So, you know, on a device that's only a seven-inch screen, I don't think it's a major issue personally. I don't either. I mean, seriously, like, put the thing on the table and sit back well, about a foot. No, what and got it, me? And you won't no, notice. I, no, I, I, I mostly agree with you there. Now, I do wish that it had the t- capability of 1080, but I understand that, you know, with battery performance and anything, everything yeah. else, it was better to give it the 720p screen. Oh, 100%. But no, yeah. what really kind of hooked me on the device, I still don't think I'm going to get one at this time until they start hitting the used market was the fact that um, he could hook up USB-C to it, hook it up to a monitor, and run it at 4K 60 hertz. Ooh, yeah. Now, that and was that, awesome. That even impressed the engineers yeah. while they were there. He plugged it in, and he looked to them. He's like, is this supposed to work? And they're like, it should. <laughs> but <laughs> it, he even thought, like, oh, I, don't, I don't know if it's 30 frames or, or is it 30 hertz, 60 hertz, whatever. But he did look. And it was perfect. Go watch the video, folks. <laughs> no, but the the idea of having that. Now, it's not exactly pocketable, but well, yeah. the idea of having that, that you can carry it around and then, you know, set it down and hook up one thing and you're good to go. And then yep. it can go into a small bag and you're perfectly fine. I mean, that's, that's you know, a lot of the reason I have the tablets that I have. Yeah. So, so my last thought on this is... As long as I can wait, here's the thing. I'm super excited about this, though. As long as I can wait to get it in that second batch with the hardware fixes, um, I mean, I'm I'm absolutely going to get one, and it's going to be a replacement for the machine and that I'm on right now. The only other negative that I really heard about it was that the, and yeah, someone will find a way around it. Is that the um, M.2s will be non-upgradable? Oh, that I mean, honestly, I don't think. We're going to run into a situation where those M.2s are dying. But if it's too small for you, that's a different situation. It could be like a Raspberry Pi, though. At some stage, they'll bring out a version 2, and they might ditch the 64-gig one and go 256, 512, 1 terabyte. Well, somebody at iFixit will will open the thing up and figure out how to replace the hard drive in it. Yeah, yeah. All right, moving along. So, hey, uh, turns out, speaking of Steam, uh, Linux is up to 1%. So uh, Nishant says that's due to Chrome OS, but I'm wondering, is it not also Steam Deck hype or is it also Windows 11 hate? <laughs> I, it very well could be Windows 11 hate, but I don't really think it's Steam Deck hype at this point because uh-huh. there aren't a whole lot of other de- devices that are geared specifically for uh, Steam Linux. So maybe it's a bit of a natural progression but i don't think it's a steam deck that's pushing that yeah yeah i don't know i don't know that it's that it's chrome os nishan do you have any numbers to back that up because i don't see how it could be steam deck pushing it because it hasn't come out yet well <laughs> you know? no no no. It, so are- what i'm getting at is that not it's not the steam deck on steam that's that's pushing it it's the fact that people are starting to test things out to see where proton's at right okay yeah so uh i don't know i don't know well, they wouldn't have to install what the Steam Linux in order to test that, or is this mm. just Linux on Steam? Uh, Steam on Linux. So, okay. I mean, that might or Steam on Linux, yeah. That, yeah, that might extend to Chrome OS, 
which I mean, yeah. So you're talking about gamers that don't currently run games on Linux who think, oh well, I might give it a try just to see how it works yeah. and performs. Right. I mean, because there's a ton of games that work. I mean, 95 percent as good as on Windows already, and that's oh, getting see. better and better. And the the promise of the Steam Deck was. 100% compatibility with everything in the Steam library. I, I read that and I thought it was like Steam OS. Steam OS Linux. You mean the 1% thing? Yeah. No, it, no, no. It's just the Linux market share of... Uh, People that are running Steam on Linux. Yeah. Okay. Right. Correct. Yep. That's the idea. So... Um, yeah, it's Windows 11 hate. <laughs> Probably a bit of both. Well, we're going to talk about something in security that, that kind of goes toward that anyway. Um, but If we ever get to security. Nah, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> so just to put that in perspective, right? I mean, 1% seems like a tiny number, but it, it represents about 1.2 million people on Steam. Well, 1.2 million devices, unique devices on Steam. So that's a lot. That's a lot of folks. I got like 15 of those devices. Well, I mean, right, that's the idea, but I think it's account-bound, though. So, I mean, oh, okay, even if you okay. have eight devices or whatever, I think you're still a customer. Okay, okay. So, I'm not sure, but I think I think it comes more from the hardware uh, thing. So, if you've gotten the hardware survey on multiple devices, then maybe you account for more than one. But, um, yeah, I, I would imagine they wouldn't send you the hardware survey a gajillion times. Well, at least not on purpose. Anyway, uh, yeah, so Steam is up, Linux is up, I think, uh, is it? Is it? Is it? Should I say it? Is it the the year of the? Is it the year of the Steam desktop? Don't say it. The year of the no, Steam desktop. All right, got it. No, no, no. Don't say it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, next up, uh, real quick, Ubuntu is debuting their uh, new desktop uh, installer thingamajig. Have y'all seen this? Have y'all gotten a? Oh. No. Let's get here. Well, I put it in the show notes, but um, I don't know uh, much about it. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I think. It's just, it's an interesting way to, to deal with this. I mean, we're just looking at the screenshots from 9 to 5. We have the link in the show notes if you want to go take a look at that. But, I mean, it, it's not it's not different. It looks a little different. I mean, certainly the, the hard drive thing looks a little bit different. I mean, the, yeah, the disk allocation area. I don't know how that's going to actually work. I need to, uh, oops, fire that up. So will all the official... All the official spins be using the same installer. No, I confirmed with uh, Dan on the Lubuntu team that no, they are not. They're going to stick with Calamaris. So I would imagine each distribute or each spin or each flavor is going to make that choice for themselves. Cool. That's it. So go take a look at that. Test it out if you're uh, if you want to. If you ever thought, hey, how do I contribute upstream? This is it. Go test that thing and let them know your thoughts on it. If anything breaks, especially hardware compatibilities and things like that. So uh, thanks to Dale, a few, I don't know, a while ago, uh, the Debian release date is August 14th. So Debian 11. Woohoo. Does anybody plan on running Debian 11? I'm going to I'm gonna install it on, on one of my spare laptops. Uh, I was going to do, uh, we're recording Distro Hopper's Digest on the 18th. Mm -hmm. So if I can get it on something uh, for a couple of days before then, I'll do a little update on it, on Distro Hopper's about it. Yeah, yes. And then talk about it on the next show, probably, because that'll be the following weekend. Yes, yes, yes. So, um, yeah, Paul Geevers. Announced that on, when was it? July 23rd. So it was uh, actually before the last show. I think we may have even talked about it a little bit before, but I don't know if the date was uh, firm or not. 
Anyway, uh, one of the one of the cool things, which is uh, thanks to Nishant and Londoner who let us know about this one, we have Alyssa Rosenzweig uh, has gotten Debian running on the Apple M1. So this happened uh, around July 25th. And uh, is this not impressive as heck? I mean, we're talking, this is uh, months and months, if not years of work by Mark Han and all the folks over at Asahi Linux uh, that enabled Alyssa to do this. And uh, I think this is fantastic. Uh, the great thing about this is if Debian's running on it, then it's not that much of a push to get it running on some of the other Debian-based distros. Oh, yeah. Give it give it uh, to the end of the year. We're going to have full-on Ubuntu running on this thing, and uh, we're, there, there might even be, by the end of 2022, uh, a button a button to press that just says download for the Apple M1. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. Kernel five point thirteen is a big is a big thing. Five point twelve got a bunch of uh, uh, what I think enablement for Apple M one. Five point thirteen uh, brought even more in, but I think it's just the fact that it all runs at all. Because I mean, you have to have a graphical stack, which isn't just the kernel. Um, I mean that that work is done by uh, Markan and Co uh, over at Asahi Linux, and then given uh, submitted upstream. So it's super important the work that they are doing to let the kernel do what it's what do what it's doing now. Anyway, one last announcement, which is Elementary OS 6 finally has a release date. And by finally and by release date, I mean maybe. Because <laughs> you have the um, uh, elementary, the elementary Twitter has been teasing uh, time after time after time after time again that it's getting close. And we see there were a couple of things. Actually, there were two things that uh, that that got this in GitHub. They had changed their toast something or other to have a date of uh, this day, which is Tuesday. Uh, that might look like that's going to be the release. So August 10th is, uh, yeah. So is anybody doing anything exciting on Tuesday? That's the tweet. And uh, I'm going to guess, I'm going to guess that's uh, the elementary release date right there. So are y'all going to try that out? It's not one that I really uh, go for. No. Uh... Yeah, me either. I mean, I like it though. I mean, they're they're the design decisions that they make. I mean, I, I think that's that's the biggest thing about uh, Elementary. Of course, they do the things like uh, enable open source um, you know, uh, programmers to get paid because it's just it's just a matter of course within their store. But I mean, that doesn't work very well if you don't have a good platform to run all that stuff on. And I think that's where the design really really comes up um, and really shines is that it's just a good well put together desktop environment and it's familiar if you have if you've ever seen a mac before um it's it's going to be a very familiar workflow for you so i, I think it's going to be a good thing the only thing that i'm and sad is the wrong word but um and disappointed feels too strong but i feel like you know this thing is going to be shipping with kernel 5.4 i would imagine and that's old i mean i can't do that on my desktop my desktop requires 5.9 or above, which, I mean, the way that I get around that with Linux Mint is they offer the Linux Mint Edge ISO, and that comes with 5.11, so everything works out of the box. But I don't know that elementary OS is going to ship with 5.11. Is that a thing? I don't know. We'll have to see. Um, I wasn't in on the beta testing or anything like that to know. But um, yeah, once it releases, uh, I'll test it out and see what's going on. But I guess it's to be seen. Well... Debian's going to be uh, the new Debian release is going to be five dot one oh, isn't it? Yeah, that's the that's the long term support kernel on a long term support distribution, which yeah. I think that's that's perfect. That that goes hand in hand. 
All right. Well, that'll do it for the news. Let's head down to security. So everybody has a problem. Everybody. Um, Open source, though, has a slightly different set of problems, right? Um, Microsoft and everybody else, when they're when they're programming and they do it all closed source and nobody can see it and anything, has the and I I hesitate to say advantage because it's not really an advantage um, of security through obscurity, right? Nobody can see the code, so I mean exploits that you would be able to do by gleaning information out of the code is kind of off the table unless you're just and one of the best reverse engineers in the world. But open source has the opposite problem, right? All the code is out in the open, meaning anybody with the ability to read that code is able to learn things about the way that the software works that you that you don't get with uh, with closed source stuff. So this week at um, at the Black Hat Security Conference, wait for it, uh, you had the OpenSSF, the Open Source Security Foundation has, uh, I guess, really kind of put their money where their mouth is, right? I mean, this is uh, a conglomeration of people like the Linux Foundation, GitHub, IBM, HP, Intel, Facebook, Google, Cisco, Microsoft, Huawei, Samsung, VMware, right? And all the way down to small companies, uh, you know, small companies like Red Hat, <laughs> right? I mean, so you have a huge group of people that have come together and said that patching holes in open source software is absolutely important. And, you know, I, this, is the, this is the thing that I've been saying for years and years and years. I mean, the, the, the one that really put it on the map for me was when we found flaws in OpenSSL, which is the thing that secures everything on the internet. So, right, like if there are flaws in OpenSSL, we should probably get those taken care of. Obviously, there's a million people working on that package. Wrong, it was one. And that guy wasn't getting paid. So this guy was single-handedly securing the internet for every single person in the world. He wasn't getting paid and it was just him. That is a huge problem. So eventually he got paid. He got paid a good chunk of money. Now he's got more people that he can work with and things like that. And bigger companies are more uh, receptive and and watching and, and sending patches upstream and all that kind of good stuff, right? But that was years ago. That was like a decade ago by now, probably. I don't know, maybe not. But that that is the problem. This is the problem that we're uh, that that they're really trying to attack at this point. And we've got pretty much every big company on board that deals with open source software in a direct way. So um, yeah, the other uh, heartbleed. But that's always been the double edged sword, so to speak, with open source software, isn't it? Right. Because the code the code is open source. So yes. You can you can go searching if you know what you're doing. I don't. I'm not a developer or a software engineer. But for those that know what they're doing, they can go searching for vulnerabilities mm-hmm. and try and you know uh, report them. But also, the bad people can go searching for vulnerabilities and try to take advantage of them. Mm-hmm. So it's who gets there quicker, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. I mean, and the good guys will tend to inform the company or or maintainer that something is wrong and generally give um, a proof of concept and sometimes even give the fix. So, I mean, with those things, as long as everybody's doing it, it's just the problem is nobody's doing it. 
So again, that's what this open yeah. SSF thing is all about: is is coming together and fixing the most important stuff that um, that we use. And so they have a prioritization thing going on. Um, so they have security uh, scorecards, a criticality score. So the scorecards are basically how secure your software is. Critical crit criticality score is basically the way that they're going to hierarchize these, uh, basically order them and triage them. That's the word. Uh, criticality score is the thing that will allow them to set up a triage so they take care of the most important junk first and then start working their way down and working on the less critical stuff as long as there's nothing more critical um, going on. And they also offer, and I think this is really interesting, um, security software development edX course. And for something like this, especially from something from the Linux Foundation and all these other companies that really, really love their money, um, the, these are not free courses, except these courses right here, these are. So there are uh, three free courses on how to develop secure software. So I mean, anybody making software that touches anything that has anything to do with security or personally identifiable information probably needs to take this course. Um, it, it's just good knowledge to have. And uh, I think that's it, right? I mean, writing secure code in the first place prevents a lot of the issues. But um, we'll see how that goes over the next couple of years. Another thing, um, yeah, I think this is this is broader than this, but the NSA CISA report outlines risks and mitigations for Kubernetes. So, I mean, um, Tony, you've got some information down here. Two of the largest government security agencies are laying out the key cyber threats to Kubernetes, the popular platform for orchestrating and managing containers, and ways to harden the open source tools against attacks. This, I think, is a wider problem than just Kubernetes because Kubernetes is all about the containers, and I think... What has happened with containerized software in general is that you just pull it and run it, make a couple of tweaks to make it run the way you expect it to run. But are we really actually going in and verifying the existence of good security within these containers in the first place? Well, no more than we are with, you know, any other installer. I was going to say for the for the general desktop user then they probably never do that. Right. But if you if you're running mission critical servers and stuff like that and your IT guys uh, are installing stuff maybe they should be having a look just to see if they can see any glaring uh, things wrong with software. Well, in a perfect world Tony you're right. That's the whole point. But but whether they've got the time or the, or the money to do that exactly. that's a different issue. Exactly. Right. Right. And it's probably a whole lot easier to, you know, change the image in some way after it's been verified since you're still pulling it from the same locations unless you're building your own repo. But yeah, it's the same thing with any type of application installer. I mean, the same things can happen. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I mean, we, ha we have supply chain attacks everywhere. That's, that's what got um, SolarWinds in trouble in the first place, right? Um, but I, I think just in general, this is a problem for us, and this actually goes back to the Open SSF and what they're what they're doing. They're they're focused on software, but this this particular issue with Kubernetes and well, really Docker and any other containerized type software is. I mean, are we doing the due diligence? Are admins that are deploying this in the real world doing the due diligence to um, to actually verify that it is as secure as if you were to do it the old-fashioned way. And not saying that the old-fashioned way that the defaults are good or anything like that. It's just that I think when you have your hands in the middle of everything and it's not so easy, you tend to not gloss over 
uh, a lot of those kinds of things. But when it's basically just a Docker run whatever, and it works, then there's no need to dig too terribly far down other than to maybe change the port or something like that, or uh, enough to get the uh, Docker Compose file working just right. Can I ask a stupid question? Mm-hmm. You know how you get an ISO and you get an MD... Is it the MD5 mm-hmm. key that um, you can check the ISO validity with? Yeah, the, the hash. Validity? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, is there any way that they could do that with well, containerized yeah. software? Yeah, absolutely. Put a hash on could. it? I think I think Docker already does something similar to that, but that's not really the problem that we're that we're hitting. It's basically, I mean, in that container that you're pulling down, is there a user account that's enabled that allows you know root access to the container itself, so you can do a DDoS attack easily or something like that? So it, it's not that we're getting the wrong container; it's that we're getting the container that is misconfigured in the first place. So it's the actual container rather than the software you're running inside it right. that's the problem. Yeah, I mean, think about Windows machines, right? I mean, like they had, uh, if, if you were running SMBV1, and everybody was before 2017, everybody was, um, that was inherently insecure. And so we don't know that uh, about these containers unless you actually go down and do some kind of audit on it. It could just be broken from the start. And that's not good because people tend to just, oh, I need a database. Boom, container. It's there. Database is ready to go. Go for it. Go ahead and use it. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's a tough nut to crack, which is, I mean, why it takes 50 multi-million dollar companies to join the open SSF to make any kind of noticeable dent in software. And then we got to do the same thing with containers. Anyway, another quick one. Um, so we were talking about Windows 11 and uh, if that was kind of pushing people to Linux. I like to think it is, but I don't know for sure. And uh, one of the big things, right? One of the big things is that you have to have Secure Boot on uh, to be able to install Windows 11. There are hacks, yes, I know. But you know, you got to have Secure Boot on. 99.99999% of people that are running Windows 11 are going to have Secure Boot on. And you need a valid TPM chip that is uh, compatible with Windows 11's compatibility list. Um, so those two things together, right? I mean, that that disqualifies a ton of people, not to mention that um, CPUs from 2015 and before are just off limits. You just can't. Um, so, I mean, that, that's, that's driving a lot of people away from Windows 11. I mean, well, the people that are thinking about it, I guess. Um, but I think one of the chinks in the armor here is going to be this right here. Uh, we have now proof of concept defeating TPM in less than 30 minutes. So, I mean, and these are kind of cheesy, I think. I mean, there's uh, PCI leech DMA attacks because uh, VTD was on. And most Windows machines ship with this off. So unless you're going in, going in and turning it on, you're not really vulnerable to that. Um, authentication bypasses with tools such as Comboot. But Comboot is a password resetter thing. And that is, um, I don't know, there's a lot of tools out there that do that kind of thing. But Comboot is really good at it and really easy. Um, but the fact of the matter is that your hard drive should be encrypted via TPM, but somehow Conboot's able to, to get around all of this. Um, and then you can use tools like LandTurtle and Responder to pull data from USB Ethernet adapters. So while TPM is important and should be used, um, yeah, I mean, there, there are absolutely 100% ways around it. So it seems like Windows 11's requirement for TPM so that everybody can be secure is um, a little overstated. I think, but um, I don't know. Uh, what, what do y'all think? Well, anything can be broken. Um, now, I have heard mixed information on the uh, hardware limitations 
uh, for TPM. Okay. So yeah, you're supposed to have TPM for windows 11, but I'm not sure how hard of a requirement they're planning on keeping that because of older hardware. Oh no, they'll keep it. They don't care. Why, no. why would they care? Someone's mm. gonna, they're just going to go out and buy another 299 laptop and yeah. then you'll be good for, the no- they, for another they, decade. They want as many people as possible to you know stay on Windows. And there are a lot of people that have machines from 2014, 2013 that aren't planning on getting rid of them anytime soon. Well, 2025 is not soon. I mean, Windows 10 will continue to run on those machines until 2025. So yeah. if you want the latest and greatest, yeah. then you're not going to get that with Windows 10. What are you going to do? Are you going to go to Linux or are you going to buy a new laptop? Yeah, most people are going to buy a new laptop. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so you got you got four years. By the time 2025 comes along, most of that hardware is going to be eight, nine, ten years old, Right, isn't it? right. At least. But you know what's funny is that Windows and Microsoft had that issue with Windows XP. There are still machines. With Windows XP on them. Windows XP. I'm sure that there are still machines out there with huh? Windows 98 on them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, typically those just have networking stacks that don't work anymore, so they're harder to get on the internet at least. But, I mean, you've, you're have you going to have the same problem, right? I mean, that that was what we heard with the with the... Uh, with Windows 10, right? This is going to be the last Windows. I know that was from a developer and that wasn't the official stance of Microsoft. But, I mean, it seemed like that was the right choice, right? I mean, stick with the same operating system and, I mean, don't make a new operating system. That way, everybody just continues to get updates and then you do announcements every couple of years saying, hey, this stuff's no longer longer going to be supported and you just shear off, uh, you know, 12-year-old hardware every, every couple of years or something like that. But that's not the case. Windows 11, it's a thing. And so I guess we'll see uh, how much Windows 10 we're running in 2028. <laughs> a lot is the answer to that. <laughs> it's going to be a lot. All right. Well, uh, any last thoughts on any of that? All right. So the last thing I'll say is, uh, yeah, Nishant mentioned it as well. Uh, the year of the Linux desktop is 2025. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, I see a lot of low-cost used computers hitting the market around then and that doesn't bother me in the least oh yeah same here same here all right let's hit the wanderings i 100 percent get to blame tony and joe for the length of the wandering section because i have one point that i didn't even type out uh it's all my fault there it is, right there. That's that's it. Arch, and by yet, the way. you're still probably going to talk more than anybody else. Nope, nope, 100% guaranteed. Uh, <laughs> okay, not. But um, yeah, I've been I've been tinkering around with Arch. It's been years, man, years since I have even thought about using Arch. But over on Linux, didn't user you space, just use just... Garuda not all that long ago? Oh come on, that's not Arch. Just because it uses Arch packages does not mean it's Arch. It's like, Arch. Look, I yeah, I know, I know. You pack your Pac Man SYU, and that, and now you're you know you're running Arch. No, if you build it anyway, using Arch, uh, Leo, uh, what, Leo, what, what, Leo, what? you you're talking about a subject that you you're going to be discussing on your rival show. Oh, I know. Uh, is this allowed? Oh, okay. And this is why I'm not going This is why it's going to be short and I'm not going to go very far into it. But yeah, on Linux user space we chose Arch and I mean Arch, not not Garuda, not Manjaro, not Arco, not whatever. Arch, Arch, Arch. Mostly so we could try out the installer thing. The hard way. Yes, the hard and it 
And you know what's funny is that I think I've been in Linux long enough that it doesn't really seem that hard anymore. Because the hardest part is getting the partitions right. That That's literally it. Once you get the partitions right, then everything else is just follow the Arch Wiki and make some choices. That that's That's... Okay, actually, you know what? The hardest part is picking a desktop environment. That was the hardest part of Arch. I yeah, could, but I, the hardest part, really, if you're not a techie like you are, is understanding what commands you're actually right. copying and pasting and putting into the the terminal. A hundred percent, and that's that's where the Arch installer comes in. I mean, it's it's a TUI based installer, so it's not like it's fancy or anything like that. But I mean, it'll walk you through the whole thing and get you set up to where you can at least boot and get working so you can start making some real choices about how you want your desktop to be um to to behave and all that kind of stuff. So, I've avoided that so far. I've done it the hard way. I did it on my laptop. Um IWD uh is a lifesaver and uh, extremely extremely annoying <laughs> at times. But um yeah, it's it's been a it's been a ride and and it's been way less difficult than I I I thought it was, but I think that's yeah, like like Tony said, I'm a nerd now. So uh, yeah, I think I, I I got around a lot of that stuff. You gotta get you gotta uh, get the T-shirt. Yeah, I use Arch. Just yeah. ask me. So um, <laughs> you know I might I have a sticker floating around here somewhere. Uh, the Arch A, but uh, I went with ButterFS just so I could um, just so I could have rollback capability. But uh, something I'll talk about in the Linux energy in a little bit is uh, I went ButterFS on my Linux desktop as well. So if you're watching this on YouTube. That's coming off of Linux Mint on top of ButterFS backed up by TimeShift backups over and over and over and over again. So uh, it's it's been it's been a ride. I was very worried about it today. Not that it would crash or anything like that, but because I would have forgotten to reset up, check some box or something like that. But um, yeah, it seems it seems everything's good. Uh, lots of lots of chatter. Uh, there are apparently people watching the show, so uh, it's working. Yay! All right, so. Um, Tony, what what what's what's going on? What's going on with you? Oh, you you come to me at last, have you? Um, <laughs> at last, <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's been a couple of weeks since I was on the show because I missed the last episode. And uh, over here in the UK, we've got a new cricket tournament. And if you don't know what cricket is, there's a link to this tournament. It's called the Hundred Cricket Tournament. The Hundred. Uh, and basically, it's uh, two teams that get a hundred balls each innings, um, and I'm not going to go through the rules of cricket. But uh, you know, there's plenty of websites out there if, for you American types who don't know anything about it. So, how many how many crickets do you need to to score a point? <laughs> <laughs> ah well cricket's different different to baseball we don't have a diamond we just have an up and down between the wickets so if you hit the ball far enough so that the uh, opposing team can't uh, knock the bales off your wicket you can and the two the two batsmen can run up and down once and get between them then they score a run ah interesting uh, yeah uh, and in traditional cricket, they have six balls to an over. But in this cricket, they have uh, ten sets of ten balls, and a and a bowler or a pitcher, as you would call them, in baseball, uh, can bowl a set of five or a or full set of ten if they want at any one go before they have to change uh, bowler. Pretty cool. But it, it's really exciting. But the great thing about it is that. This is a tournament that is involving men's and women's teams. 
And I've really found the women's game a lot more exciting than some of the men's games. It's been really good. <laughs> yeah. 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 Because, uh, you know, it it, it just feel, it feels a lot more interesting, a lot more exciting. So, uh, yeah, I've really got into this new tournament. When are you going to start watching hockey? Oh, no, 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 no. no that's, that's just death on ice. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. watch it for the fights, man. <laughs> there aren't as many as there used to be. Yeah, that's no, that's just death on ice. <laughs> so anyway, uh, health-wise, I had uh, uh, my annual uh, blood test done uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I was oh, three or four years ago. I was classed as being pre-diabetic after I had a stroke, and uh, so I had to lose a load of weight and get me uh, blood sugars under control. And uh, my blood sugar results came black this time, and I'm creeping back into the pre-diabetes level because mm-hmm. I've been uh, not exactly exactly sticking to a fully healthy diet. You know, the ice cream and the cakes and the bought pizzas and things like that have crept in. So uh, I'm having to get control of my diet again. If you want to have a talk later on about how to make um – sweet foods that uh, have little to no sugar in them, then I'm probably the guy you want to talk to. Oh, yeah. I can, I can do sweet stuff without using sugar, using fruits and things like that, but I've just been getting lazy. Um, so I'm having to go back to, uh, which we'll talk about later in uh, the innards, but I'm having to go back to basics as far as my cookery goes. So, uh, and uh, leading on, from that, I decided to go out and get myself a Fitbit. I bought the Fitbit Charge 4 last Thursday. So uh, I've had it two or three days now, and I'm actually quite impressed with it as a fitness tracker. I've never had a fitness tracker before, but my wife bought one, uh, uh, the uh, Fitbit Charge 3, uh, about 12 months ago. What color did you get? And she's, I got the the purpley uh, mm, one. Rosewood, purpley- I see. Yeah, it's very nice actually. It was, the reason I picked it was because it was uh, five five quid cheaper than the black ones uh, on Amazon. Uh, when I looked. Yeah, that's a man after my own heart, right there, man. <laughs> I, mean, I don't care what color it, it is, but it's but cheaper. It actually, I got it. <laughs> yeah, actually, it's quite nice. No, I st- I'm still liking uh, my uh, S3 Frontier. But it, this is really good. I, I am really enjoying it. And this one is an upgrade on the uh, Charge Three because it's got. To GPS in it so I set it for a walk earlier on this afternoon and it actually uh, when, I, when I finish the walk it creates a map of where I've been and mileage and you know various zones where your heart rate's been at higher than others and all that stuff so yeah it's good that's pretty cool it's getting me off and it's getting me off the uh, couch every hour to do at least 250 steps between the hours of 9 o'clock in the morning and 7 o'clock in the evening. That's pretty smart. So, uh, yeah, the um, the I've, I've been looking at these as well, and I think um, if the Apple Watch that is coming out does have, uh, I think it was going to be blood pressure and uh, blood sugar, if it has those things, uh, I'm, I mean, I have to. I have to. Um, I'm trying not to die, so <laughs> it'll help with that. I don't think I, I don't think Fitbit does that, but there's a couple of things it does do. But you've you've got to go for the premium um, community thing, which costs you eight quid a month, or 
you know, uh, 80 quid a year if you go for the paying it annually. Yeah, nobody's really doing it right now, at least not, you know, well. So, yeah, it is mm. big for Apple to be able to do that. Right. I mean, and, and yeah. it's, it, the, you're going to have a price to match. It's not going to be 100 bucks. So I'm, I'm okay with that, though, just simply because uh, I know I need to take better care of myself. And these are these are just easy things that I can look at and be like, all right, maybe I should, you know, cut back on the beer on the weekend or something. <laughs> it'll it'll actually give yeah. me real actual proof to to say, yeah, you should do that. Because well, right might now, have to do something crazy and switch to Michelob Ultra. Oh, gross! But I mean, yeah, kind of. <laughs> One less whiskey. Well, sour. the good advantage is I'm a vegetarian and I don't drink or smoke. So ah, there you go. So I, you got, I've got that a head for start. You. Yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> But uh, so finally, uh, we've already talked about this, but, uh, you know, I, I was uh, I've not been really doing much special Linux wise for the last couple of weeks ago. But as I said in the uh, at the beginning, uh, the ISO for Debian drops next week. So uh, I plan I plan to give that a spin. And hopefully if I manage to get it installed, I'm going to I'm going to run it up and talk about it on distro hoppers so uh, yeah that's about as much as uh, i've been doing linux wise the last couple of weeks i've been watching too much cricket i've not even been doing much modeling <laughs> you can't model <laughs> and cricket. watch cricket at the same time um it's difficult it's difficult okay okay Anyway, what you've been doing, Joe? I, I can I can see lots and lots and lots and lots. Oh yeah, yeah, those notes are huge. Wonders. And lots and lots and lots and lots. <laughs> yeah. All right, yeah. timer starting <laughs> well, now. I I now. talked about some of this on um the Saturday show last week, but I, I wanted to get a little bit more in depth into it. Um, I was able to pick up three red ringed Xbox 360s. And a PS3 for $20 on Facebook Marketplace. I also have uh, two other Xbox 360s that have had issues in the past. Um, I'm not too worried about fixing the Red Ring devices, although I may do the temporary fix with some pennies just to say that I have done it. Um, but they will Oh my work. God, that's the, that's the penny heatsink trick. Yeah, yeah. Oh because my God. Um, Be what happens oh. is, yeah, I don't have an air gun, so I can't do, um, well, the semi-permanent fix for it. And I, I don't have a rework station, so I cannot do the actual fix for it. And I'm not going to pay like seven grand for a rework station. Well, of course not. Are you going to, are you going to try to find like some 1950s pennies that are actually copper? Or are you just going to hope zinc does well enough? Uh, probably hope zinc does well enough. Like I said, yeah. I'm not really worried about fixing either one of the, the two. And I'll get into what the, the third one in, in just a minute, but, um, I'm gonna have to, at most I will do it on one of them. And that'll be, like I said, just to say that I did it and I got it working, even if it is only a, a, a fix that works for a couple of weeks, but I should be able to get the other two that I had sitting around up and working again, which means I'll have like three working Xbox 360s and three that, well, one that kind of works and two that are for parts. So what do you, what do you, what do you do with Xbox 360s anymore? Do you still have a well, bunch of 360 my, my, games you want to play? Yeah. Yeah. And some of them haven't been um, backwards compatible to the Xbox One. And I don't know if they will for the um, Series X. So, 
Yeah, I mean, and who wants to play pay Series X prices if all the games you want to uh, play are on an older system? Yeah, so, wasn't there a thing in Windows where you could play Xbox 360 games? Uh, I think some of them, but I'm not sure about all of mm-hmm. them. And I know that there was a way to like stream between the two or something like that, oh, but um, okay. I don't remember. Yeah, I got But you. my wife really likes her Xbox 360, so I, I try to make sure that she has one that's working. Um, now, surprisingly, the PS3 just worked with no issues that I could find, but I also don't have any games for it. Um, I need to pull out some of the, my PS1 games because I think those work on the PS3. And that and then, was the PS3 fat, right? The big one? Yeah, yeah, it's the fat. And then um, now I know that only one of the models of the PS3, even the PS3 fat, was backwards compatible with PS2, but I think they were all backwards compatible with PS1. I'll have to check. Um, So with this one, I'm assuming that the issue was an overheating problem, which is very common for those. And the thing just needs to be taken apart and cleaned and put back together, maybe some new thermal paste. But the plan for that one is to actually put custom firmware on it and put in a much larger hard drive into it and, uh, you know, really see what its capabilities are. Basically do the same thing with it that I do with the uh, PSPs and turn it into an emulation station and put all of the games onto the hard drive instead of doing disk swaps. Now, um, one of the 360s was one of the very first 360s that uses a, a slightly different power supply that I just plain don't have. It also doesn't have the HDMI out port. It has that special connector and then the Hold RGB. On, wait. For, for the power thing, that's that's what you use a, a wire coat hanger for, right? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, you just <laughs> stick course, it in there and yeah. stick it in the outlet and you're good to go. Don't Look, do man, that, people. All you, no, you no. got to do is just don't Look, touch it, it okay? If Ever. you do that at home, do not blame me for anything <laughs> bad that happens. Uh, oh, man, yeah. But surprisingly, when I took it apart, because, well, I, I took it apart, uh, the disk drive type that was in it was exactly what I needed for one of the 360s that I already have. So I did a board swap, but it turns out that the drive was non-functional, even after cleaning the laser. Now, it did try to, you know, it pulled in the disk, it tried to read it, tried to read it, tried to read it, and couldn't. But in the end, that didn't work. And the disk drive that was in the other one, it intermittent reads. So I was able to, like, sometimes you'll put the disk in there and it'll work. Sometimes you'll put the disk in there and it just doesn't, plain doesn't work. I don't know what the actual issue is. But um, I did the board swap over to the other one. The new drive didn't work at all. I moved the board back. It was doing the intermittent working again. So I'm going to need to take apart the other two and see if they have the correct drives in them. And it's the BenQ drive that I need. Um, And try to make that work. So hopefully that'll work in the future. Um, The other 360 that is in my collection is a slim. So uh, not many of the parts are going to be interchangeable. And it has an overheating problem. So I'm hoping that taking it apart and putting on new thermal paste will fix the issue. Uh, My wife likes the 360 more than, you know, the one because of the backwards compatibility things. So I'm going to keep one working all the time. Um, it's also a you, good means of getting my son involved. And he really... You, gotta, in- you, you just got to do the thing where you just uh, like clamshell open it like I do my Raspberry Pi and just, like blow on it every now and then. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah well, yeah. I, I need a couple of cans of air, but uh, probably also try and do thermal paste on them. Um, it's also been a, a good means of getting my son involved as he really enjoys my, watching me work on those and talking to me about what I'm doing. He also likes taking apart and working on whatever I have set aside as not worth repairing. Helps to keep his hands busy. So that one 360, I, I don't mind if he takes that apart. He'd already been working on it some. Now, um, yes, I have been working on headphones again. Yes, it is probably some kind of addiction and I should probably seek help. Um, most recently I have been wanting to get the cables off the driver's side of the one more MMCX builds and, and make the connector flush to the driver cup. I could have done this by modding the cup itself, but I had my concerns about the plastic of the cup holding up. I had one set of one mores that I had not modded yet. And on Thingiverse, I found a print for a um, 10 millimeter drivers with an MMCX SDL already there. I printed it out, but I found that the uh, cup wasn't large enough and there was no hole, no actual hole for the MMCX connector. Like the image showed it when you looked on Thingiverse itself, but then when you downloaded the SDL, the hole wasn't there. So I loaded it into Tinkercad and added an extension to the cup and put a hole in it to reuse some of the leftover connectors that I had stopped using for various reasons. It took a few iterations, but it was a very quick print, so it took me less than like five hours total to get a working model. And I really, really like how it turned out. And, and for the people watching on YouTube, let me just show you that real quick. I mean, that just looks super good. And it works really well. And um, my son also really enjoyed helping add to the Tinkercad file. Um, I think I'm actually going to load this one on Thingiverse and so maybe a couple of the ear cups adapters that I've done in the past. So, and, and he wanted to put a couple of designs on it. So not this one, but I'm also going to add some beveling so it doesn't hurt the, uh, inside of the ear for people with smaller ears. That's we'll me. see. I got to be careful with, yeah. uh, with the types that I have cause I'll, they'll start to ache. I've got, um, the, like the OG Apple ones that used to come with the phones and stuff, uh, mm -hmm. those, like my left ear would ache a little bit after a little while of that. Yeah. Well, it just, it's kind of sharpish on the corner. Oh, that's, that would be even worse. Yeah. 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 So I, I want to thin it out just a little bit and I've already redone the STL, so it's a little bit thinner and then, uh, beveled the edges. So it's hopefully won't press in to the cartilage of the ear. Uh, I got to reprint and then take this apart and resolder everything. But I, I think it turned out like super good. And I posted pictures on um, uh, the Telegram group. So a bunch of people saw it there. Now, um, my eldest daughter has spent the last couple of weeks using a Linux machine for applying to college and seems to really enjoy it and says that she's going to stick with it for a while. Uh, considering that the college may have requirements that will necessitate her switching back to Windows, I'm going to have a U USB stick at the ready for her. Um, she really likes the computer that it's on, and it's a bit better than the old one, so um, I'll end up loading Linux onto her old one and use that as my spare PC after I put in the new hard drive. So that's sitting over there right now and it's put on the back burner because I have no real rush for it. 
Um, I did get the Pine phone yesterday. It wasn't supposed to show up until Monday. I don't know if anybody was aware that um, one of our listeners had offered to send us a Pine phone, and I, I, I jumped all over that. So, yeah, um, I did get Ubuntu Touch loaded Ooh. up onto it as a temporary. And, yeah, I also was able to find a working Docker VPN instance. I know you've everybody's heard me complain about in the past that I wasn't able to find one that was working anymore with PIA. And so I, I was able to use that and set it up on all of my PCs again. And so I did finally finish writing all the scripts on my server for my file moving applications. And I'm set up to make all the machines download whatever I need directly to my server. Um, now I am planning with the pine phone to test several other OSs and see what I think it may be some time before I'm ready to send it to another team member. But if, if anything is going to get me back into programming, it's, it's going to be this, uh, I, I do see some rsync scripts in my future if I can get them to work. Uh, now some of the desktop functionality that I look for is really not there. And I can kind of understand why it would be a bit of a battery killer on a system that can't keep up with battery as it is. But I I'm hoping to be able to find some workarounds for the functions that I want. Um, I have not put a SIM into the phone yet, so I don't know about call quality, but I do want to try out some uh, Google Voice on it and see how well that works. Um, I, I wish there was a dedicated app for it, but no such luck. I, but I am on Ubuntu Touch right this second. I'm going to see what the Manjaro has in store for it. And that that's really all I've been up to lately. You guys that's got it? Me? Yeah, you know, not much, not much. And you say, and you say I go long. Okay, there that, it was. That, that was pretty quick. Proof's in the pudding. Uh-huh. <laughs> only 10 minutes oh <laughs> only alright well that'll do it for uh, for this half of the show and then uh, next time now I have to do math because I didn't write it down uh, because I'm awesome uh, but our next episode is going to be 2pm US Central Time on August 22nd 22nd, mm-hmm. yeah. And then the next live stream is going to be 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time on August 14th. So um, go to the website. You can see they're already posted. Go check out um, when that's going to be. And then we're going to have links in the show notes and all that kind of stuff to convert the time if you prefer more of a uh, uh, a different avenue of getting when things are. But I guess that does it for the show, huh? Yeah, and only only not too bad. I mean, we started a few minutes late, so uh, we're not we're not too terribly yeah, far no, beyond two right. hour. Yeah, so um, I guess that means Joe. Where can we get more of you outside of here? Well, I'm on a couple other podcasts. You can catch me on the Linux Link Tech Show, tlts.org, dot org, or the Linux Lugcast. That's linuxlugcast.com. You can maybe find me on MeWe, or you can send me an email directly, jb at mintcast.org. And Bo's not here this time, but you can get him at theundercastnetwork.com or uh, YouTube, Undercast Collective. And of course, they've got uh, Crowbar Kernel Panic as well. Tony Hughes. Yeah, you can listen to some of my old Hacker Public Radio uh, shows. I'm uh, on uh, hackerpublicradio.org, correspondent PHP question mark host 
ID equals 338. I'm on Twitter at TonyH1212. I'm on Mintcast.org, TH at Mintcast.org. And I'm on DistroHoppersDigest at gmail.com. Nice. And Josh Hawk's not here either, but Josh on tech at Mintcast.org. Uh, and then pretty much Josh on tech everywhere. Uh, and of course, he's the other half of Crowbar Kernel Panic. So go check that out. Uh, you can get to it through our YouTube uh, channel. So if you're going to the Mincast YouTube channel, we've got a link right there just in case you can't find it. And Mike as well, Mike at Mincast.org and Grouchy M on Discord if you want to go slap him around uh, verbally or textually. Uh, <laughs> and it's for me, uh, LeoChavis.org and at LeoChavis on Twitter, uh, Leo at C.im on Mastodon. And you can check out my other show, LinuxUserspace.show. But before we leave, we want to make sure to acknowledge some of the people who make Mintcast possible. Owen Peary for our audio editing. Josh Lowe for all his work on the website. Hobstar for the logo. InitRD for the animated logo in Discord. And of course, Londoner for our time sync. Bitemark Hosting for hosting Mintcast.org in our mobile server. Archive.org for hosting our audio files. And of course, the Linux Mint development team for the fine distro we love to talk about every fortnight. Thanks, Clem. Thanks, Clem. And Co. This has been another episode of the Mintcast podcast. The show notes for this episode are at mintcast.org. You can send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. You can find more information about Linux Mint at www.linuxmint.com. You can follow both Mintcast and Linux Mint on Twitter, at Mintcast and at Linux underscore Mint. Thanks to Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com for our theme music, and thanks for listening to this episode of the Mintcast. That was my middle child. <laughs> okay, go, go, middle child. Go, go, middle child. <laughs> go, go, Leo. Yeah. Got the show. No, we don't do that. <laughs> we still don't do that. Okay. All right. And we we ready to do this? I guess. Where are my so, show I notes? I deleted them all. I for don't you. know. Did I actually hit record? <laughs> Tony, I just need it to be lodged into the permanent record. I think record there's a little bit of wind up going on here. There's, uh, it's not my fault. This one's not me. Just are, a little are, bit. Are you sure, Tony, that we're winding you up? <laughs> Well, it's not my fault then if De- if uh, Owen's got to use the uh, the um, YouTube stream. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be fine.